0: the acceptable sacrifice, or the excellency of a broken heart, showing the nature, signs, and proper effects of a contrite spirit. Being the last works of that eminent preacher and faithful minister of Jesus Christ, Mr. John Bunyan of Bedford, with a preface prefixed thereunto by an eminent minister of the gospel in London, London, sold by George Larkin at the Two Swans without Bishop Gate, 1692. Advertisement by the editor. The very excellent preface to this treatise, written by George Coquin will inform the reader of the melancholy circumstances under which it was published, and of the author's intention and mode of treatment. Very little more need be said by way of introducing to our readers this new edition of Bunyan's Excellency of a Broken Heart George Kocan was a gospel minister in London who became eventually connected with the independent denomination. He was a learned man, brought up at the university, had preached before the House of Commons, was chaplain to that eminent statesman and historian Whitelock, was rector of St. Pancras, Soper Lane, remarkable for the consistency of his conduct and piety of his life. But as he dared not to violate his conscience by conformity to ceremonies or creeds which he deemed anti-Christian, he suffered under persecution and with upwards of 2,000 godly ministers was ejected from his living and thrown upon the care of divine providence for daily food. Footnote. Bunyan worked for his livelihood and I think all ministers should work unless they can't find work or in desperate straits as any church member could be. The Apostle Paul says that if a man won't work, neither shall he eat. The reader, Alan Roberts. The law ordered him to be silent and not to set forth the glories of his Savior, but his Heavenly Father, had ordained him to preach. There was no hesitation as to whom he would obey. At the risk of imprisonment, transportation, and death, he preached. And God honored his ministry, and he became the founder of a flourishing church in Harecourt, London. His preface bears the date of September 1688, and at a good old age he followed Bunyan to the celestial city in 1689. It is painful to find the author's Baptist friends keeping aloof because of his liberal sentiments, but it is delightful to witness the hearty affection with which an independent minister recommends the work of a Baptist and truly refreshing to hear so learned a man commending most earnestly the work of a poor unlettered but gigantic brother in the ministry. Surely there is water enough connected with that controversy to quench any unholy fire that differences of opinion might ignite. George Kakin appears to have possessed much kindred spirit with John Bunyan. Some of his expressions are remarkably bunyanist. Thus, when speaking of the jailer, who was a most barbarous, hard-hearted wretch, yet when God came to deal with him, he was soon tamed, and his heart became exceeding soft and tenor. Page 687. And when alluding to the Lord's voice in softening the sinner's heart, he says, This is a glorious work indeed that hearts of stone should be dissolved and melted into waters of godly sorrow, working repentance. The subject of a broken heart is one of vital importance because it is essential to salvation. The heart by nature is hard and cannot and will not break itself. Angels have no power to perform this miracle of mercy and of justice. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth. Some have supposed that God always prepares the heart for this solemn, this important change by a stroke of his providence. But it is not so. Who dares limit the Almighty? He takes his own way with the sinner, one by a whisper, another by a hurricane. Some are first alarmed by the preaching of the word, many by conversation with a pious friend or neighbor, some by strokes of providence, but all are led to a prayerful searching of the holy oracles until there is by the enlightening influence of the Spirit they find consolation. The great question is not as to the means, but the fact. Have I been born again? Have I been grafted into Christ? Do I bring forth the fruits of godliness in mourning over my sins? and in good words and works? Am I a living epistle known and read of all men, angels, devils, and of the omniscient God? These are the all-important inquiries which I trust will deeply influence every reader. Let two of Bunyan's remarks make an indelible impression on every mind. God will break all hearts for sin, either here to repentance and happiness or in the world to come to condemnation and misery. Consider, thou must die but once, I mean but once as to this world. For if thou, when thou goest hence, dost not die well, Thou canst not come back again and die better. May our spirits be baptized into these solemn truths, and our broken hearts be an acceptable sacrifice to God. Editor George Offer To continue tape one, side one, A preface to the reader, the author of the ensuing discourse, now with God, reaping the fruit of all his labor, diligence, and success in his master's service, did experience in himself, through the grace of God, the nature, excellency, and comfort of a truly broken and contrite spirit so that what is here written is but a transcript out of his own heart for God, who had much work for him to do, was still hewing and hammering him by his word, and sometimes also by more than ordinary temptations and desertions. The design and also The issue thereof, through God's goodness, was the humbling and keeping of him low in his own eyes. The truth is, as himself sometimes acknowledged, he always needed the thorn in the flesh. And God, in mercy, sent it him, left under his extraordinary circumstances, he should be exalted above measure, which perhaps was the evil that did more easily beset him than any other. But the Lord was pleased to overrule it, to work for his good, and to keep him in that broken frame which is so acceptable unto him, and concerning which it is said that he healeth the broken in heart, and bindeth up their wounds. Psalms 147.3 And And indeed, it is a most necessary qualification that should always be found in the disciples of Christ, who are most eminent and as the stars of the first magnitude in the firmament of the church. Disciples, in the highest form of profession, need to be thus qualified in the exercise of every grace and the performance of every duty. It is that which God doth principally and more especially look after in all our approaches and accesses to him. It is to him that God will look, and with him God will dwell who is poor, and of a contrite spirit, Isaiah 57, 15, 66, and 2, and the reason why God will manifest so much respect to one so qualified is because he carries it so becomingly toward him. He comes and lies at his feet and discovers a quickness of sense and apprehensiveness of whatever may be dishonorable and distasteful to God. Psalms 38 and 4. And if the Lord doth at any time but shake his rod over him, he comes trembling and kisses the rod and says, It is the Lord... Let him do what seemeth him good for samuel three eighteen he is sensible, he hath sinned and gone astray like a lost sheep, and therefore will justify God in his severest proceedings against him. His broken heart is also a pliable and flexible heart, and prepared to receive whatsoever. Impressions God shall make upon it, and is ready to be molded into any frame that shall best please the Lord. He says with Samuel, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth, First Samuel 3.10. And with David, when thou said Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Psalms 27 and 8. And so with Paul, who tremblingly said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Acts 9 and 6. Now, therefore, surely such a heart as this is must needs be very delightful to God. He says to us, My son, Give me thine heart, Proverbs twenty-three, twenty-six. But doubtless, he means there a broken heart, an unbroken heart we may keep to ourselves. It is the broken heart which God will have us to give to him. For indeed, it is all the amends that the best of us are capable of making for all the injury we have done to God in sinning against him. We are not able to give better satisfaction for breaking God's laws than by breaking our own hearts. This is all that we can do of that kind, for the blood of Christ only must give the due and full satisfaction to the justice of God for what provocations we are at any time guilty of. But all that we can do is to accompany the acknowledgments we make of miscarriages with a broken and contrite spirit. Therefore we find that when David had committed those two foul sins of adultery and murder against God, he saw that all his sacrifices signified nothing to the expiating of his guilt. Therefore he brings to God a broken heart, which carried in it the best expression of indignation against himself as of the highest respect he could show to God. 2 Corinthians 7 and 11. The day in which we live and the present circumstances which the people of God and these nations are under do loudly proclaim a very great necessity of being in this broken and tender frame. For who can foresee what will be the issue of these violent fermentations that are amongst us? Who knows what will become of the ark of God? Therefore it is a seasonable duty with old Eli to sit trembling for it. Do we not also hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of wars? And ought we not with the prophet to cry out, My bowels, My bowels I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace, and so forth. Jeremiah 4.19 Thus was the holy man affected with the consideration of what might befall Jerusalem, the temple and ordinances of God, and so forth as a consequence of the present dark dispensations they were under. Will not a humble posture best become us when we have humbling providences in prospect? Mercy and judgment seem to be struggling in the same womb of providence, and which will come first out we know not. But neither of them can we comfortably meet but with a broken and a contrite spirit. If judgment comes, Josiah's posture of tenderness will be the best we can be found in. And also to say with David, My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. Psalms 119 verse 120. It is very sad when God smites and we are not grieved, which the prophet complains of. Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved, and so forth. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Jeremiah 5 3. But such as know the power of his anger will have a deep awe of God upon their hearts, and observing him in all his motions will have the greatest apprehensions of his displeasure, so that when he is coming forth in any terrible dispensation, they will, according to their duty, prepare to meet him with a humble and broken heart. But if he should appear to us in his goodness and farther lengthen out the day of our peace and liberty, yet still the contrite frame will be most seasonable. Then will be a proper time with Job to abhor ourselves in dust and ashes and to say with David, Who am I that thou hast brought me hitherto? Job 42.6, 2 Samuel 7.18 But we must still know that this broken, tender heart is not a plant that grows in our own soil, but is the peculiar gift of God himself. He that made the heart must break the heart. We may be under heart-breaking providences, and yet the heart remain altogether unbroken, as it was with Pharaoh whose heart, though it was under the hammers of ten terrible judgments, immediately succeeding one another, yet continued hardened against God, The heart of man is harder than hardness itself till God softeneth and breaks it. Men move not. They relent not. Let God thunder never so terribly. Let God in the greatest earnest cast abroad his firebrands, arrows, and death in the most dreadful representations of wrath and judgment yet still man trembles not, nor is any more astonished than if in all this God were but in jest till he comes and falls to work with him and forces him to cry out, What have I done? What shall I do? Therefore, let us have recourse to him who, as he gives the new heart, though also therewith the broken heart. And let men's hearts be never so hard. If God comes once to deal effectually with them, they shall become mollified and tender, as it was with those hardened Jews who by wicked and cruel hands murdered the Lord of life, though they stouted it out a great while. Yet how suddenly, when God brought them under the hammer of his word and spirit in Peter's powerful ministry, were they broken and being pricked in their hearts, cried out, Men and brethren, What shall we do? Acts 2.37 And the like instance we have in the jailer, who was a most barbarous, hard-hearted wretch. Yet when God came to deal with him, he was soon tamed, and his heart became exceeding soft and tender. Acts 16, 30. Men may speak long enough, and a heart not at all be moved. But the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And breaketh the rocks and cedars. Psalm 20, 9, and 4. He turns... The rock into a standing water. The flint into a fountain of waters. Psalms 114 and 8. And this is a glorious work indeed, that hearts of stone should be dissolved and melted into waters of godly sorrow, working repentance not to be repented of, 2 Corinthians 7.10 When God speaks effectually, the stoutest heart must melt and yield. Wait upon God then for the softening thy heart, and avoid whatsoever may be a means of hardening it, as the apostle cautions the Hebrews. Take heed, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.13 Sin is deceitful, and will harden all those that indulge it. The more tender any man is to his lust, the more will he be hardened by it. There is a native hardness in every man's heart, and though it may be softened by gospel means, yet if those means be afterwards neglected, the heart will fall to its native hardness again as it is with the wax and the clay. Therefore, how much doth it behoove us to keep close to God in the use of all gospel means whereby our hearts being once softened may be always kept so, which is best done by repeating the use of those means which were at first blessed for the softening of them. The following treaties may be of great use to the people of God through his blessing accompanying it to keep their hearts tender and broken when so many, after their hardness and impenitent heart, are treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath, Romans 2.5. Oh, let none who peruse this book heard with that generation of hardened ones, but be a companion of all those that mourn in Zion and whose hearts are broken for their own, the churches and the nation's provocations who indeed are the only likely ones that will stand in the gap to divert judgments. When Shishak, king of Egypt, with a great host, came up against Judah, and having taken their frontier fence cities, they sat down before Jerusalem, which put them all under a great consternation. But the king and princes upon this humbled themselves. The Lord sends a gracious message to them by Shemaiah the prophet. The import whereof was that because they humbled themselves, the Lord would not destroy them nor pour out his wrath upon them by the hand of Shishak. Second Chronicles twelve five through seven. The greater the party is of mourning Christians, the more hope we have that the storm impending may be blown over, and the blessings enjoyed may yet be continued. As long as there is a sighing party, we may hope to be yet pre- preserved at least such will have the mark set upon them which shall distinguish them from those whom the slaughtermen shall receive commission to destroy. Ezekiel 9, 4 through 6. But I shall not further enlarge the porch as designing to make way for the reader's entrance into the house where I doubt not but he will be pleased with the furniture and provision he finds in it. And I shall only further assure him that this whole book was not only prepared for, but also put into the press by the author himself, whom the Lord was pleased to remove. To the great loss and unexpressible grief of many precious souls, before the sheets could be all wrought off. And now, as I hinted in the beginning, that what was transcribed out of the author's heart into the book may be transcribed out of the book into the hearts of all who shall peruse it is the desire and prayer of a lover and honorer of all saints as such, September the 21st, 1688, George Kokean. The contents of this book. One, text opened in the many workings of the heart. Two, the doctrine of assertion, demonstration, and conclusion that a broken and truly contrite heart is an excellent heart. First, this evident from the comparison. Second, of the greatest esteem (laughs) with God. Third, God does not only love such, but he must dwell with him. Fourth, God doth not only prefer such a heart, but reserveth for it his choice cordials. Fifth, God gave his son a special charge of such. Sixth, as God prefers such a heart, so he hath promised to save him. Three, what a broken heart, and what a contrite spirit is. There are four particulars. First, what a heart is that is not broken and made contrite in ten particulars. Second, how the heart is broken. Third, what the heart is when broken. Fourth, the signs of a broken heart in six particulars. One... He is a sensible man in five particulars. Two, he is a very sorrowful man in three particulars. Three, the man with a broken heart is a humble man in six particulars. Four, the broken-hearted man is a man that sees himself in spirituals to be poor. Five, the broken-hearted man, he is a crying one. Six, the broken heart trembleth at God's word. for the necessity there is that the heart must be broken for first, man, take him as he comes into the world as to evangelical things, and there he is as one dead, two. Man, how wise soever in temporal things, take him as he comes into the world, he is yet a fool. Three, man, take him as he comes into the world, and he is not only a dead man and a fool, but a proud man also. Four, man, take him as he comes into the world, He is not only a dead man, a fool, and proud, but also self-willed and headstrong. 5. Man, as he comes into the world, is not only a dead man, a fool, proud, and self-willed, but also a fearless creature. 6. Man, as he comes into the world, is not only a dead man, a fool, proud, self-willed, and and fearless, but he is a false believer. 7. Man, as he comes into the world, he is not only a dead man, a fool, proud, self-willed, fearless, and a false believer, but a great lover of sin. 8. Man, as he comes into the world, is not only a dead man, a fool, proud, self-willed, fearless, a false believer, and lover of sin, but a wild man. 9. Man, as he comes into the world, is not only a dead man, a fool, proud, self-willed, fearless, a false believer, a lover of sin, and a wild man, but a man that disrelishes the things of the kingdom of God. Five, the reasons why a broken heart is esteemed by God such an excellent thing. First, then, a broken heart is the handiwork of God. Two, a broken heart is, in the sight of God, an excellent thing because it is submissive. Three, A broken heart to God is an excellent thing because it has a high esteem for Christ. Four, a broken heart is of great esteem with God because it is a thankful heart. Six advantages that a Christian gets by keeping his heart tender. To keep this broken heart is an excellent thing. And first, this is a way to maintain in thy soul a fear of sitting against God, set forth in six more particulars. How to keep the heart tender? Question. But what should a Christian do when God has broken his heart to keep it tender? Answered first in six several cautions. Second, labor after the knowledge of God in five directions. Seven, the use. One, from the truth of the matter. Two, is this a truth? Then it shows us a reason why God breaks some men's heart for sin. Three, this may then teach us what estimation to set upon a broken heart for this should encourage them that have this broken heart to come to god with it 5 if a broken heart be of such esteem with god then why should some be afraid of a broken heart lastly if a broken heart be a thing of so great esteem with god and if duties cannot be rightly performed by a heart that has not been broken, then this shows the vanity of those people's minds who worship God with an unbroken heart. Eight objections answered. One, in this saying, some may say, I am too rigid. Two, objection but there are they that are godly educated. Three, objection. But some men are not so debauched and profane as others. And now to the sermon itself. The acceptable sacrifice or the excellency of a broken heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise. Psalms 51, 17. This psalm is David's penitential psalm. It may be fitly so called because it is a psalm by which is manifested the unfeigned sorrow which he had for his horrible sin in defiling of Bathsheba and slaying Uriah her husband, a relation at large of which you have in the eleventh and twelfth of the second of Sabbath. Many workings of heart, as this psalm showeth, this poor man had so soon as conviction did fall upon his spirit. One, while he cries for mercy, then he confesses his heinous offenses, then he bewails the depravity of his nature, sometimes he cries out to be washed and sanctified, and then again he is afraid that God will cast him away from his presence and take his Holy Spirit utterly from him. And thus he goes on, till he comes to the text, and there he stayeth his mind, finding in himself that heart and spirit which God did not dislike. The sacrifices of God, says he, are a broken spirit, as if he should say, I thank God I have that. A broken and a contrite heart, says he, O God, thou wilt not despise as if he should say I thank God I have that. One the text opened in the many workings of the heart. The words consist of two parts first an assertion, second. A demonstration of that assertion. The assertion is this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. The demonstration is this. Because a broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise. In the assertion, we have two things present themselves to our consideration. First, that a broken spirit is to God a sacrifice. Second, that it is to God as that which answereth to or goeth beyond all sacrifices. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. The demonstration of this is plain. For that heart, God will not despise it. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Whence I draw this conclusion, that a spirit rightly broken, a heart truly contrite, is to God an excellent thing, that is, a thing that goeth beyond all external duties whatever. For that is intended by this saying, the sacrifices, because it answereth to all sacrifices which we can offer to God. Yea, it serveth in the room of all. All our sacrifices without this are nothing. This alone is all. There are four things that are very acceptable to God. The first is the sacrifice of the body of Christ for our sins. Of this you read Hebrews ten, for there you have it, preferred to all burnt offerings and sacrifices. It is this that pleaseth God, it is this that sanctifieth and so setteth the people acceptable in the sight of God. Second, unfeigned love to God is counted better than all sacrifices or external parts of worship. And to love Him, the Lord thy God, with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Mark 12.33 Third, to walk holily and humbly and obediently towards and before God is another. Hath the Lord... As great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Mark 6, 6 through 8, 1 Samuel 15, 22. Fourth. And this in our text is the fourth. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. But note, by the way, that this broken, this broken and contrite heart, is thus excellent only to God. O God, saith he, thou wilt not despise it, by which is implied... The world have not this esteem or respect for such a heart or for one that is of a broken and contrite spirit. No, no, a man, a woman that is blessed with a broken heart is so far off from getting by that esteem with the world that they are but burdens and trouble houses wherever they are or go. Such people carry with them molestation and disquietment. They are in carnal families as David was to the king of Gath, troublers of the house. 1 Samuel 21
1: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books.